Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you today. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you this morning? I'm doing well, and I want to find out from you, do we have a speaker yet? We, think... How can we live without a speaker? <laughs> they elected you while you were sleeping. <laughs> yeah, oh, wonderful. Adjourn. <laughs> adjourn, adjourn. You know, I resign. <laughs> oh, my. It's... Uh, in a way, it's sort of sad and tragic because it demonstrates where the country is. You know, they can't even get together and have a little congressional session to spend more money. But uh, then again, uh, maybe this is a true reflection of what's really going on. Although it's not the first time it ever happened in history, uh, they get frustrated. But uh, right now, I would say, well, how many days have they been into this? About three days or so and having a bunch of little votes. and. But uh, it looks like things aren't getting uh, better for McCarthy. It looks like he's, he's struggling. Uh, and uh, I don't think anybody really knows what the final outcome will be. Of course, I don't worry a whole lot about it. Uh, I'm concerned about it. I would like to see things better. But uh, I think this mess that we're in is so bad that uh, it's Congress, we, we don't need the Congress there. Who knows? We might be better off with it. And then when we talk a little bit more about exactly uh, what's going on with the tw Twitter files, uh, it really adds fuel to the fire of ineptness and not knowing what's going on. And uh, there's some good news in that. I think the Twitter files have, have some good news. Yeah. and They're doing a good job on, on that. So uh, Muska, I think, has done us all a favor. Yeah. And they... Uh, the, the files have exposed a lot of the corruption that we talk about. I mean, how many people uh, not besides us, you know, have talked about the deep state and who really runs things? This is an exposure yeah. on how it works, the mechanisms of it, how, how big corporations get together with the government agencies of, government, agencies of the government to go and run things. And, uh, and they have and is a very much abused but uh, unfortunately, as much as this is a benefit, I'm afraid the guilty parties all the way back to even before 2016, all the corruption in the elections, everything else, I don't think anybody's going to be punished for it. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. Well, the, 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 as it stands right now, and we talked when we were talking about the show, that the vote was supposed to start as we started the show, and we didn't even want to announce it because we don't want anyone to <laughs> tune over the vote. So stay here if you're with us. Um, but let's put up that first um, clip because this is from <coughs> Zero Hedge and they're watching it in real time. Uh, this is just about a half an hour ago. Um, total chaos. McCarthy and allies want to adjourn the House and postpone the speaker vote. <coughs> and that is because Dr. Paul, after losing three votes yesterday in agony, hanging out there to dry, as not only did he uh, win some votes over, he actually lost a vote. There are now 20 who refused to vote, 20 Republicans who refused to vote for him for speaker, and it seems like it's getting worse, particularly as he looks weaker and weaker as he's hung out to dry. So it looks like what they might be trying to do, according to what Zero Hedge is reporting, is they want to just go ahead and postpone the vote until tomorrow, maybe. They want to adjourn the House, but the problem is complicated by the fact that they may not have enough votes to even adjourn the House. So they can't even leave, they can't even go home. They may be forced to do a fourth vote, which he will probably lose. 
um, and it will make it look even worse. So really there's blood in the water and it's being sensed by a lot of uh, conservative sharks, I think, out there. But McCarthy has to be an optimist. I mean, he's already moved in the office. <laughs> he has his desk in there and exactly. everything. I wonder if he'll, and, and you know, he doesn't have to worry if he has to move out. He'll have a lot of help. Yeah, a lot of sure. people, but Repo uh, Democrats and Republicans, yeah. get out and do it. But you know, for, for me, I see this as a, so symbolic of what's happening to the country and to the economy, to our civil liberties, to our foreign policy. And the bankruptcy, the moral bankruptcy and the financial ba bankruptcy makes it difficult to manage. And we're running into that. I think, I think you could take what we see in the politics of what's going on right now and compare that to uh, the Federal Reserve uh, deciding what to do with monetary policy and what they expect next week and two weeks later and what the interest rates should be, because that's foolish nonsense, but of a much greater significance. It almost distracts from the big things, war and economic prosperity and the Federal Reserve and spending money and debt. Uh, and this is not a philosophical argument that they're having. This is a sort of strategic, it's partisan type stuff. And, and there's other things going on. Power, who gets to be on what committees, who raised the most money in the past. Yeah. They, have a, they have a big job sorting all that yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> I think what, what was interesting, and I also did not realize, I think what's happening right now shows how deep the rebellion really was within the party. Now, this goes to what you've always said. You don't need a majority. There's only 20 members right now on the Republican side, the Republican caucus, that are holding up his election as a speakership. They struck at the right time. And I think, you know, you and I have watched the drift over the past, you know, 10 or so years since you've been out, the drift away from any individual member having any power whatsoever, the drift toward throwing everything into an omnibus at the end of the year and saying vote or die on it. Um, we've seen how it's just sort of devolved into a, basically a circus or a zoo. And now we're seeing how deep and how serious uh, some of these members are <coughs> about the problems that were there. And I think for them, McCarthy has come to symbolize that problem. He is a symbol of what's happened over the Pelosi years, the fact that he's made so many deals with Pelosi that they have done nothing to really articulate. And we've talked about this before too. We compared it to 94 when they had a specific agenda articulated. This is what we're gonna do if, if you elect us. McCarthy had nothing of the sort, but now we're seeing in the absence of him articulating a vision, we're seeing these 20 members, the rebels, coming in and articulating a vision. Turns out that there really was a vision out there, but it just wasn't from McCarthy. Yes, I think that it's, it's a, a great symbolic effort, but it's not going to get anyway. You know, I've been thinking about our, our, our very good friend and ally, uh, philosophically and personally, and that's Thomas, Thomas yeah. Massey. Yeah. And, uh, he, um, and I was looked to see if his name's in that 20. You think, well, he, he's a real rebel, rebel. Yeah, yeah. But he's a philosophic rebel. Yeah. And uh, I, I think I understand, but I haven't had a conversation yeah. with him yeah. in, in a while, so we haven't shared ideas. But in a way, uh, he, uh, he, he's a rebel, but he wants to defend the things that we want to defend. He, yeah. he, the libertarian beliefs, free markets, and all these things, and anti-war. And, uh, and he, he's a supporter right now of, uh, of Mc, uh, Mc, uh, McCarthy. McCarthy. He voted for him, yeah, he did. Yeah, so uh, does that mean that he's wimped out? So, but you know, when, when, they, when they talk about the evil words that the Republicans are using against other, other Republicans for not supporting McCarthy, yeah. 
that uh, in a way, I think that uh, Thomas has risen above that. Yes. He, he's, he's not in this squabbling business, but I know where he stands. And, uh, and, and you know, the other day I made a point that, you know, uh, if, uh, if somebody decided to do it and vote for, uh, uh, vote for Kevin, yeah. that, uh, that it would be, uh, you know, that would mean that uh, Jordan would be in charge of the committee, yeah, you know, the judiciary committee. Yeah, yeah. And that, that in itself, uh, he may have a more powerful voice there than he would as a as a uh, speaker, yeah. you know. So I don't, I don't know. I think uh, anyway. I just mentioned that because he is a good friend, and if we had him on our program, we we could ask him about how things are going. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I, I don't want to bother him right He's now. He's a little busy. Yeah. <laughs> He's probably voting at the moment, at this very moment. Could be. You know, I think we did we did make it clear yesterday that we're not endorsing this fight necessarily, and you probably. You may have actually voted for McCarthy because this isn't the battle. This isn't the hill to die on. So definitely, I think a very good argument could be made. And maybe if we know Mr. Massey as well as we think we do, he would make that argument. Look, <coughs> this is not the hill to die on. Um, and so I don't think there should be any question about his dedication to his principles, as you say, based on this vote. Nevertheless, it is fascinating. And I haven't been this interested in Congress, to be honest, since we left. Uh, because I'm just ta I actually watched a vote for the first time in a long time yesterday. But I wanted to just mention a couple things about McCarthy because as we say, you know, he's looking weaker and weaker. He's handling it so badly. Let's put this next one up because this is from Politico uh, and it really kind of says it all. After another failed vote, McCarthy's speaker bid is starting to look pathetic. Now that is the worst thing you know, Dr. Paul, in politics. You can do all sorts of things, but you don't want to look pathetic and that is really dangerous. And as you alluded to, and here's a letter that Matt Gates sent to the architect of the house. Put this up. This is, I'm sure, fairly tongue-in-cheek in its typical Matt Gates, very uh, caustic <coughs> in a way, but it's also very funny. He writes, to, and I'll leave it up here while I read it, please. He writes to the architect of the Capitol yesterday and says, Dear Mr. Blanton, I write to inform you that the Speaker of the House office located in the U.S. Capitol building, is currently occupied by Representative Kevin McCarthy. As of this morning, the 117th Congress adjourned sine die, and a speaker from the 118th Congress has not been elected. After three undeciding votes, no member can lay claim to this office. What is the basis in law, house rule, or precedent to allow someone who was placed second in three successive speaker elections to occupy the Speaker of the House office. How long will he remain there before he is considered a squatter? Please write back promptly, as it seems Mr. McCarthy can no longer be considered Speaker-designate following today's balloting. Very funny, calls him a squatter. Yeah, but maybe he, some people might not think it's funny. And maybe they'll say, <coughs> January 6th all over yeah, again. Yeah. Let's go get him. Yeah. You know? yeah. so somebody will want to do it. But, uh, but he has handled it badly. You know, <clears throat> he said something on the order of, well, hey, now it's my turn. It's my turn to be speaker. You know, he moves into the office. Uh, he's not, according to what we've heard, been negotiating properly. Uh, he has not been giving any concessions to the other side, to the, to the rebels, uh, which would probably be painless. He has handled this with, what do you say, like a, uh, uh, in, such, in such a bad and such a haphazard way uh, that he's just looking worse and worse. Uh, 
because the country is bankrupt, <laughs> to bring people together is more difficult. So if you don't have a powerful figure that can bring them together for various reasons, then you run into this uh, uh, stalemate. But uh, I, I don't see how uh, McCarthy's going <laughs> to work his way out of there today. Yeah. I think it's a, it'd, be, it'd be strange if they just don't, uh, I don't know, I, they've had votes like this before and sometimes they go on and yeah. on and on, but I, I wonder how many times uh, they uh, couldn't even vote to adjourn, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. that they couldn't even take a break. Well, I have a video uh, keyed up that I wouldn't mind showing you. It's of Chip Roy, and we both have some admiration for him. He's, he's a very well-spoken. I think he's thoughtful. I'm sure there are plenty of things we disagree with him on. But here he is on Laura Ingram's show, if you want to, might want to put your earpiece in, Dr. Paul, talking about what they are complaining about um, in, uh, in this. Uh, there's your earpiece right there. It's not an ideological purity test. This isn't about Kevin, right? This is about all of the assertions being made by Kevin's camp. When I hear assertions, it says, oh, they gave you everything you wanted. Well, Laura, hold on a second. What, 72 uh, hours to read a bill? That's already the rule, and it gets waived. You know how it gets waived? Because the rules committee is chock full of a bunch of establishment people who say, oh, whatever we need to do to jam through the big spending bill that Mitch McConnell just sent to us. Look, when the leadership actually votes with the minority, votes with the Democrats, to steamroll Republicans, which which is the past history of our Republican leadership, then maybe we should do something different. Yeah, so that's his bill of particulars against McCarthy and how that how he has worked with the Democrats to pass these horrible, massive bills without any Republican input. So it just shows that the level of, 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 of mistrust uh, is, is very, very strong out there. And I think this is this net, I want to do a couple of quick things and throw it back to you, but this sort of to me symbolizes why people don't like McCarthy. Let's put this up. We talked about this at the time. He came out all big and strong during the campaign. There's going to be no blank check for Ukraine if we win the majority. Uh, you know, and he's obviously appealing to the base because we know the vast majority of the Republican base do not want any more money or weapons for Ukraine. We've talked about poll after poll showing that. So here he is playing the big tough guy about no aid and then put on the next picture. And then next you see him on the House floor dressed like this. He's got his... Ukrainian flag, and he has a Ukrainian kerchief in his pocket, and the Columbia Bugle, which is a great right-wing alternative publication, calls him Kievan McCarthy instead of Kevin McCarthy. So that just says in a nutshell what kind of politician I think he is. I just had a radical thought. That could be construed as unpatriotic. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, that, that is just horrible. <laughs> so, so. Anyway. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Twitter files, okay. too, because uh, there, there's some very good news there. Uh, things are being exposed. I've been fascinated with the principle and the mechanisms of coups, the takeover, because yeah. we're the experts. I imagine, I, I think I'm safe to say, the United States probably has uh, you know, participated in more coups than any other country ever did. But I don't know, you know, the Roman Empire might have done something that was called a coup, but they just marched in and took over <laughs> with his military. But a coup is a, you know, a seductive way of taking over the government. And, uh, and of course, the most recent coup that we've talked about was the coup in 2014, and the taking over of the government and kicking the government out that was elected that was favorable toward, you know, a peaceful relationship with, with Russia. So there, there has been a coup, but it goes on and on. But um, 
the the coup is harder to measure if it's not a a precise military taking takeover and throwing the people out. And I think ours has been more subtle, gradual, and erosion of our liberties and and the uh, deep state taking over. Most people understand the word deep state. People who secretly control our government. Yeah. And I, I think that has gone on, but where it's become very very uh, annoying and prevalent, people trying to figure out well what's been going on especially since 2016 uh, is there and and the uh, uh, you, you know the radicalism that's associated with the so, uh, social media you yeah. know all that activity and uh, what happens here is is, is now has a revealed with these release which must God revealed and it is bad. There is so much trash in there, and yet uh, I don't think even now, as bad as it is, uh, people are willing to challenge it on principle because uh, I, I don't think the founders would be upset if we had never started an FBI yeah, you yeah. Know, and a CIA, and they're, they're involved. But, uh, but I think it's good that this is coming out because truth is becoming more prevalent, and the people who are suspicious of things, you know, have things to hang their hat on. So there's been a lot of information uh, describing how the deep state and the coup has worked and, and how the government and the FBI and the CIA works uh, very, very strongly, you know, with the social media and, re- of course, we've always known regular media. Yeah. And, and it's, a, it's such an incestuous situation there that uh, it's going to take a lot of house cleaning to do this. But I don't know whether that's been even debated in the, in the election of the, uh, I, I doubt if anybody running for speaker right now say, <laughs> well, we, what we want to do is, uh, you, you know, take care of this FBI people so they're out of business. And I do think some of the rebels have talked about that, some of the 20 have talked about we need to get to the bottom of this and that's a great thing to do and let's the reason we're talking about this is put this up because as you say Matt Taibbi had yet another edition of the Twitter files released yesterday actually let's move forward to that Twitter uh, it's, I think it's two or three ahead keep going if you can yeah one more there we go so he put this out yesterday uh, and it was a long thread and you and I both wanted to talk about it but we didn't want to have to unpack the entire thing because <laughs> it is chock full of info and the title page really tells everything. Uh, the Twitter files, how Twitter let the intelligence community in. And this is getting deeper and deeper because we heard about the FBI's role. Now we're learning, as you say, about the deep state, the deeper state's role. Put on this next one because Elon Musk himself commented on Matt Taibbi's release. And he points out this is basically skipping a cut to the chase. U.S. government agency demanded suspension of 250,000 accounts, including journalists and Canadian officials. And this he's talking about the Global Engagement Center of the State Department, which literally sent over lists to Twitter saying, we want you to ban these 250,000 people. That is incredible. And Snowden chimed in on this. Let's put this next one up because this is fascinating. Uh, Snowden uh, points out, because what happened is the FBI set up a channel with uh, Twitter for the purpose of, of censoring and kicking people off. Snowden comments, the U.S. government through the FBI had the censorship units at major internet platforms on speed dial. Public figures that claimed such a year ago were cast out of polite society as lunatics. 
when it is now established to be true, the same polite people now shrug, trust the ruler. And he did mention, I did put it up here, Dr. Paul, in a subsequent tweet, this feels a little bit like deja vu. Yeah. Because remember, before he re- all these revelations, anyone who said the NSA was spying on us was crazy conspiracy theorists. So you it's know, very it's, interesting. And it's, it's been so prevalent, you know, dealing with Russia and China and, and in foreign policy. And, and we know that goes on and the coups that we participate in. But if we look at the last three years, especially about two years ago, it was so social media working with the, uh, with, with the government that carried out the orders of the government to punish and cancel, who took over the First Amendment. It, was, it, it, it does, to me, represent that a lot of our uh, control of government has been totally taken over because it's evident now that they were in charge and they were taking orders and uh, it was one and the same. It wasn't like uh, the the government was alone and occasionally asking the social media to do such and such. They became partners. Yeah, they, yeah. You know, the social medias, they were researchers and probably getting paid a lot of money. Three and a half million they, dollars yeah. just for Twitter. Yeah, yeah. they, they, they uh, you know, get involved in policy. Oh, hey, you know, we have a hot lead for you. <laughs> it, it, it is very, very bad. And uh, I think that, that, that it was a big problem. This is a big problem on how you control the social media. But one thing you could do, and they're moving in that direction, some people, you gotta think about property rights and contracts with people. And it was never enforced or, or understood in, with the social media. And that's why there's everybody, including many libertarians, they throw up their hands, it's a private company. Yeah. We can't regulate that. Well, we don't want to regulate the First Amendment. Yeah. But uh, if you don't understand this, you turn it loose, you know, to the to the monsters who would use that to start war and take over the world and, and spend us into bankruptcy and punish people who, who disagreed. This is the whole thing. The, the attack on the First Amendment is horrendous. And that's uh, that's the favor, I, I think, uh, uh, Musk has given us to just let us see to this see stuff. The, yeah, <laughs> see the scum. <laughs> but one of the, there are so many bombshells. I'm sure that most of our viewers have read the, the thread, and if not, they should read it. It takes a while to digest. Uh, but I think one of the real bombshells here, and this says, I think, everything, was that Twitter was having a hard time because they were being pressured by the U.S. government to find Russian-influencing accounts, Russian-agent accounts, uh, all of these sorts of things, because that was the narrative. Of course, the Russians were in our elections. The Russians had Russiagate. Trump was with the Russians. So there was tons and tons of pressure. Turns out a sitting member of the United States Senate, Senator Mark Warner, Democrat of Virginia, and this is from the Zero Hedge article, tried to force feed the Russian influence narrative down Twitter's throat, despite the fact that Twitter just wasn't seeing it. So Twitter is looking and looking for these supposed Russian accounts Russian uh, agents, and it just wasn't finding it. And Warner starts pressuring them. You got to find some. You got to find some. So they wanted their conclusions to be backed, their narrative to be backed, regardless of whether it was true. And that is, I think, treasonous. Yeah, it is. And uh, getting that exposure now is much more likely than it has ever been in the last several years. But this has been going on for so long. When I was alerted to how serious this was, was a good time ago because it had to do with the Kennedy assassination. Yeah. You know, uh, that sort of passed, uh, passed nearby me when I was at Kelly Air Force Base and 
uh, Kennedy was on the base and the next day he was uh, assassinated. But uh, he, at that time, it was got my attention, but it's been since then when the people who have done a detailed research really has, has explained all this. So this has been going on a long time that uh, the, the government has been undermined. It is probably more difficult to handle uh, than if, uh, if you had, uh, had a military invasion. You know, there's my target. They sent in 100,000 troops. We'll, we'll fight them and, uh, the, and, and reverse the uh, uh, takeover. But uh, this, this one is tougher because it's philosophic, yeah. it's incestuous, and they've done their work over the, these many years to get, in, get their people positioned in the low-level positions. And, and, you know, like in our uh, school industry and, and all of these things, that they have so much control and uh, control the businessman, and then the businessmen have done this too. But this is all, all this kind of thing. I mean, uh, you, you know, it, the people who have social media and mainstream media, they're supposed to be businessmen, yeah. <laughs> but they're not. They're part, of the, they're part of a corrupt government system. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, even in, in Zero Hedge, of course, pulled this part out because it directly relates to them. And we're not surprised, but the State Department was flagging accounts to Twitter. And this is what happened. So Zero Hedge, if you remember, it was suspended from Twitter, it was kicked off Twitter for a tweet they made speculating on the possibility of a, or of a Chinese origin in a lab, uh, you know, just speculating on it. They were kicked off. Put on that next clip because this is what happened after they were kicked off for that. State, which is the State Department, the Global Engagement Center, GEC, state also flagged accounts that retweeted news that Twitter banned the popular U.S. Zero Hedge, claiming the episode, quote, led to another flurry of disinformation narratives. Zero Hedge had done reports speculating that the virus had lab origins. So the State Department is pouring through Twitter, telling Twitter to ban flagging accounts to be banned for just retweeting that Zero Hedge was banned itself. That shows how deep, that shows we've got about 40,000 too many employees at the State Department. You know, we've always been annoyed that the people didn't rise up against this. And eventually they started to, you know, with the uh, parents rising up against what they were doing to the kids. Yeah. So it, uh, it was a matter of getting that information out and they knew what to do. Anybody who who was releasing this information or repeating this information, they became the guilty parties and they had, they had financial ruin, some of them. They lose their yeah, jobs yeah. and reputation and all these things. So, so now it should get a little bit easier. But you know, really the sad part is that they could, they could get that far. That's how weak the understanding and the determination to depend our liberties have got, had gotten to. You know, the people, you, you know, it, was, it wasn't just a couple people in the seat. Yeah. I mean, there has to have been a lot of other people supporting it. And then, lo and behold, uh, the the philosophy has you know drifted into uh, quite a few of our states. And the state officials, uh, you, you know, had governors that love the idea. Yeah. They they'll just join in. And if we're going to skirt, uh, uh, you know, blaming the federal government for it and blame it on corporations, the states just decided executive orders. I didn't know about all that stuff. And then they they went to town. But right now, what I would say is this is information. 
that needs to be out there and people need to see what's going on and the people who you know spoke out early on and suffered the consequences and there's more of that uh, people people are starting to try to to recognize the injustices that occurred yeah well i'm gonna um I'm going to close uh, with something, but I do want to do a shout out to James Cabral, a good friend of ours, great supporter. He chipped in $40 <coughs> on a Rumble rant. He said, Happy New Year, Dr. Paul. Daniel McAdams is our PLR staff. When the Libertarian Party asked on Twitter who the speaker should be, my votes were for Dr. Paul, Daniel McAdams, or Thomas Massey. <laughs> for Thomas. <laughs> so anyway, thanks for that. And um, I just want to close by mentioning Dr. Paul. Um, I think there's also some collateral damage on this. We know that, that you know, McCarthy right now looks like kind of bruised goods, let's put it that way. But I think Trump is also looking pretty bad because he pulled it, put out a full-throated endorsement of McCarthy last night. I don't know if, if we can find it back there. It's his, on his, uh, his own channel. A full-throated endorsement of McCarthy just as McCarthy was looking weakest. And the other point about that is that McCarthy has said some pretty nasty things about Trump in the past. Uh, he blamed him for January 6th. Um, he said he was inciting people. Uh, and he also, back in 2016, if you remember, there was this hot mic uh, conversation where McCarthy was talking to fellow Republicans. And he said, there's two people, I think, that Putin pays, <coughs> Rohrbacher and Trump. Laughter, laughter, swear to God. According to the transcript, Ryan immediately responded, this is off the record, laughter, no leaks, laughter, all right. So McCarthy has been anything but loyal to Trump. In fact, you could probably say he's a never-Trumper, yet he's gone all in for McCarthy. I think, Dr. Paul, I think it makes Trump look weak right now. I wouldn't disagree with that, but I'm going to add something that might modify it a okay. little bit. And, and, and that is that uh, there's been a lot of exposure about the lies told with Russiagate and also the, com the, the computer gate that went on and how they covered up. I think that information doesn't hurt Trump because so much of that was used against him. Uh, but uh, for various reasons, sometimes that information doesn't get out and, and, and Donald Trump doesn't use it use it pro properly. But, but anyway, uh, I keep thinking that anything that brings out the truth, let it fall. And, uh, but I think yours is the most immediate <laughs> issue that went on. But uh, have you finished? Yeah, up I'm that? all done, yeah. Okay, <clears throat> now I have something a little unusual because I have, I have an announcement. You're the one that's <laughs> uh -oh. so good with the <laughs> announcement. But this is an announcement of something I'm going to attend. And, uh, and I know a lot of people uh, that view this program also are aware of it. And it's the ninth annual Anarcopolco meeting that they're having down in uh, Acapulco. And uh, that meeting is going to be held uh, on the, the 5th to the the 11th of February. A lot of activity going on. And uh, I, I want to just announce uh, where it is and what's going on. I'll be a speaker there. Beautiful tropical garden venue with five days and six nights of speakers, workshops, and nightlife. I'm not going to be at all those things, but I am going to be there. I'm, I'm going to be a speaker. So I uh, wanted to, to let you know that, that that is available. If you care, you could just go to anarchopolco.com. But I do want to thank everybody for 
tuning in today and hopefully we provided some information you didn't have and that you can see some positive things uh, that uh, may come of this and I don't lie awake at nighttime worrying about oh we don't have a speaker we don't have a speaker uh, it's not necessary to do that but it is uh, worthwhile thinking about how how you can best uh, you know participate in making sure that we can get the best government and the best government is uh, those who are advocating less government and for the protection of our personal liberties believing that peace and prosperity can be best achieved through that method. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.